Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My resilience had just been shot and I couldn't cope with those small things and it took a long while to build that resilience back up again and actually one of the things that took the biggest hit was my self-confidence and I think that's when imposter syndrome came in far more than any other time in my life. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton and I'm Greta Thomas and we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode with one of the most unassuming and humble entrepreneurs we've met. That's right. We're talking about Adina Jacobs, the co-founder of a technology accessories business called STM that basically created a whole new category of product when she launched it 23 years ago. Yeah, think really functional and yet not boring. Laptop backpacks and bags, iPad and tablet covers, chargers and a whole host of other accessories we've just come to take for granted. Adina was just 23 when she co-founded STM Goods, and the STM stands for smarter than most. Her success as a young entrepreneur is testament to the power of building win-win relationships, whether it was with manufacturers or retail clients. Yeah, and it was thanks to great relationships and a track record with Apple resellers that led to her products landing coveted space in Apple's own destination retail stores when they launched. And that must have been such a coup for these young entrepreneurs at the time. Can you imagine? And of course, not only do they supply and work with Apple globally these days, but also Microsoft and other key brands are partners as well. Yeah, it's really impressive. And Adina is also co-founder of Mentor Walks in Australia, a not-for-profit which is making a huge difference to women all around Australia with its simple walk and talk model. And of course, you know, it's been just walk and talk via Zoom during COVID lockdowns. Yeah, I think it's like talk and talk now, (laughs) but uh, we're sort of back to walk and talk as well. So that's been really great. It's been growing like crazy and we both love being mentors on Mentor Walks, don't we? We certainly do. And we had the global founder of Mentor Walks, Michelle Garno, on the podcast about a year ago, indeed. Exactly. She launched the first Mentor Walks in China. So in this episode, you'll learn how a creative use for a padded postal envelope 23 years ago was the genesis of a new product category and this internationally successful business, how Adina thinks and goes about building win-win relationships, how STM has succeeded getting things successfully manufactured in China and elsewhere, and how to set yourself up for success with your co-founder. And there's lots more as well. So sit back 
relax, and enjoy this episode with the humble and high-achieving Adina Jacobs. Adina, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, we're very excited to have you here. It's been something we've been looking forward to for quite some time. And as you may well know, a question we ask all of our guests to kick off our conversations is, you know, if you were to meet someone at a dinner party you'd not met before and they asked you, what do you do? How do you answer that question? I always stumble over this because I've got so many competing things that I do that are amazing and I never know where to start. But I always start with the one that takes up the most time and that's my business, STM Brands. We are an innovative accessories company for in the tech space, basically. So we make accessories for tech devices. And then I have my wonderful not-for-profit that I've been doing for the last few years, which I absolutely love, which is our mentoring program for women, Mentor Walks. And I'm also a mum and I I'm married and I've got an incredible family around me. So that takes up a bit of my time as well. So altogether, it's not much on the side. No, exactly. It's amazing how much you've achieved because you didn't even say there that you co-founded Mentor Walks, which is in Australia, but we will talk about that later on. But if we hit rewind and go all the way back, uh, tell us, where did you grow up? I grew up in Sydney. I live now within five kilometres of where I've always lived and I've been so fortunate to travel a lot, but I've always lived in the same spot, which is in Sydney near Bondi. Ah, famous Bondi Beach. It's beautiful there. And if you had to describe your childhood, uh, how would you do that? It was pretty idyllic. My mum and dad were together until I was 19. They divorced when I was 19, so I had my whole childhood, both of them. And we had nice holidays together. I went to a good school. I had one sister. And, I mean, it's funny, I've got massive blanks in my day-to-day memory of my childhood growing up, but my feeling about the whole thing was that it was a good childhood. And I've still got really good relationships with everyone in my family, so I think it must have been pretty good. Yeah. What do you think creates those blanks? Um, overload and trauma. So I, my father and my sister both died within two years of each other, both 10 and 12 years ago. And after that, I lost big chunks of my memory, which is Mm. bizarre. They just fell out of my head. Wow. Wow. I know. Yeah. I know how that feels that, that it's really weird, isn't it? It just disappears. And no matter how, I used to get very frustrated by the fact that I couldn't remember things because I'm known for having a very good memory. And I've just kind of like understood that that's a part of me now and I don't get frustrated anymore. Yeah. Fantastic to accept that. We might come back to that if that's okay with you, that that time in your life. When you were growing up in Bondi, what did you imagine that you were going to do when you grew up? You know, it's funny, I didn't have any yearning desire to do anything in particular. When I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be an actor. And then for a while, I thought I wanted to work in theatre and film behind the scenes. It wasn't until I started working that I found my place through experience. Yeah, because... I think you went to uni and studied for a Bachelor of Arts. Yes, it was a very generic degree. It was kind of what you did when you finished at my school and you didn't know what you wanted to do. You just went to uni and did an arts degree and then figured it out from there. And so how did you figure it out? I was in my last year at uni, I was working for a a brand of like sort of streetwear clothes called Hound Dog. And I was, I was working in one of the retail stores and then I applied for a job at the head office as the accessories buyer. And I got that job and worked there for a few months. I loved working with accessories. I loved developing products and working with overseas manufacturers and importing product into Australia. And when I met Ethan and he had 
this idea of a product that he wanted to make because he couldn't find anything that suited him. He Basically, he bought a laptop and he couldn't find a bag for it. He bought one of those padded envelopes that you buy at the post office and he put his laptop in that and put it in a backpack and he thought there's got to be something better, but there really wasn't. So we wow. set to work and came out with two bags. We By the time the product came out, we both left that company and came out with two bags and that was 23 years ago. Gosh, so it's sort of like you created a whole new category. We really did. And what is STM, which is your business's name, what does that stand for? It stands for um, Smarter Than Most. And yeah. that's a philosophy that's really important to us. We make sure that in our products, we're not just protecting the device. Protection's not enough. It has to be a smarter, thoughtfully designed product that does more than just wrap padding around whatever your tech is. And so, well, let's let's talk about the fact that you were smarter than most because, you know, if we roll back to 1998, you're two young things and you've had an idea. Well, Ethan's had an idea and, and you know how to solve it. In retrospect, what do you think you did that really set you up for success? I think there were quite a few components that went into people taking notice of us and then and taking on our product. The first one was that we were extremely focused on quality. It was really, really important to us to make sure that we were using the best materials, the most appropriate accessories, and that comes to things like zippers and buckles and that kind of thing. On the brand side, we came into a space that was about black briefcases and software. Anything that was talking about product in our space was all print magazine or newspapers. And in the tech side of things, like all of the tech journals, it was all very interesting to talk about, but it wasn't very interesting to look at. And so when we provided them with high-res images of good-looking bags that you could find like at General Pants or a streetwear store, that landed. They, they wanted to put our products in their publications. And so that got us quite a bit of attention. And then the third part of it was the fact that we were both really young. I was 23 when we started the business. Ethan was a few years older. And there was no talk at the time about entrepreneurs or anything like that. It was just people in business. But the way that we thought and the way that we tackled things and the way that we just had this like can-do attitude got people's attention. It's phenomenal, really, because there you are. As you say, you're, you're just 23 when you start. Obviously, you talk about people could see the quality and the thoughtfulness going into the product. How, though, did you actually forge those early relationships and get, you know, your foot in the door, whether it was for a retail presence or I don't know if you started with wholesale as well from day one or you started with retail and then sort of segued? Basically, what happened was there were a few different things. So we had to order 500 bags for our first order, which we thought was a huge number of bags. And we started the business, we each put $7,000 in, which is pretty crazy that we could even start a business on $14,000, especially a product business where like the bulk of your money is in actually buying product mm. so $14,000 didn't get us very far and what we think we're both from Bondi and what we figured was in a worst case scenario we just set up a stall at Bondi markets if nobody wanted the product we just flogged them off and get our money back but luckily it never came to that Basically, what we did was we pulled out the yellow pages because there was no like online search for anything. We basically pulled together a database of luggage stores and computer stores and we went door knocking, basically. A lot of the places we spoke to just weren't interested because we were talking to like Dell and IBM, not to the computer companies, but to the places that were selling those computers and those customers weren't ready or prepared to spend another $150 on a backpack. And then we happened on the Apple market and it was the year that the iBooks in the five different colors were launched. 
And some of the bags that we came out with at first were the same colours as those iBooks. And the Apple market operated so differently from the PC market and there was immediate uptake on the product. And so we got into quite a few retailers very early on and we basically developed and cut our teeth in that Apple space. So we developed these amazing relationships with retailers that sold Apple products and then they sold our products as well. And it just went from there. Once we had some leverage and our foot in the door there, we just kept developing those relationships and eventually that rolled out into relationships directly with Apple. So we were in the perfect position when they opened their own retail stores to then get into those stores. Incredible. And, you know, from the product side of things, did you go offshore for that first batch and did you continue to have it made offshore? We did, yeah. So everything, all of our products are made in China, Vietnam and a little bit in India and a tiny bit in Myanmar, but it's mainly in Vietnam and China. And my relationships that I developed when I was doing the accessories, there were quite a few companies that were acting as agents for developing products overseas. So for the first order that we did, I approached one of our existing suppliers who made products overseas and he he helped us develop the first two bags. And I think he just did it as a favour. I don't think he realised that there was anything really in it because by the second, by the time we were ready to develop our second lot of bags and place our second order, he introduced us directly to the factories in China. And from there, it's been a, you know 22 years of working directly with factories in Asia, which has been pretty amazing. And what advice would you have for people who are looking to sort of having troubles kind of thinking about getting something made in, in China or elsewhere? The relationships are really, really important and culturally the language is different. So people might speak English or I might speak Mandarin, which I don't, I wish I did, but it's about really understanding culturally how business works in different countries and then understanding that they're a part of your team and that you need to figure out how to communicate with them. One of the things that we did very, very early on after some significant losses was we got a third party quality control agency involved to check all the product before it left the factory. So I used to just like trust the factory that what I'd asked for was what they'd made. And then we'd place an order, we'd pay for it, and then they'd ship it and we'd open the container at this end and it would be not very similar to what I'd asked for. And part of that was because, you know, we were young and we didn't know what to look for and we didn't know what to ask for. And part of it was because we weren't very important to them and so they just did what they could get away with. But when you have somebody on the ground in that country going in as a third party checking your product and not allowing it to leave the factory until it's approved, then it gets everybody into line and it gets everybody on the same page about what to expect from the product. And so there are very few surprises when you open the container at this end. So my number one piece of advice would be, Be very clear about what you want and make sure that both sides understand that. Have a signed sample at both ends. So typically what I do is when we finish the development of a product, we get three pieces sent to me in Australia. I sign and date all three of them. I keep one. I send one to the factory and I send one directly to the quality control inspector. And then everybody's on the same page about exactly what should be leaving the factory. Yeah, that's really great advice. It's clear that relationships are very important to you and to the business's success. How do you tactically build a relationship that goes beyond the transactional to become sort of the long-term healthy relationship? So in the very beginning of a relationship, I 
do some basic research into the person that I'm talking to. So it's just a LinkedIn profile, understanding a bit about their business. And that way it allows me to be interested and to ask pointed questions about what they're doing so that I can understand where they're coming from. And then what I do is I very early on, I lay out, like if it's a business relationship for STM, I lay out very early on who we are, what's important to us, what we can do for them, and then lay out what I think they can do for us. Because it has to be a two-way street. Both parties have to benefit from a good long-term relationship. And it's not just about me taking, it's also about me giving. What's an example of where you've done something for them? Because obviously you give them your custom, but what's an example? So a lot of products, they look great on screen or on paper, but they're very hard to make. And so I always make sure that the factory is very involved in the process of being able to translate something from on screen to manufacturing. And so I always lean on them to provide us with a way of making a product that's easy for them. If I insist on making a product the hard way, then they're going to get a lower yield and they're not going to be able to turn the product as quickly. And that's bad for their factory. So I always rely on them to help us understand how do we make a product that's good for us, but that's also good for them to make. Because the more they can make and the and the easier it is for them to make, the better quality the product's going to be, the faster I can get my shipments and the more productive their factory is and the easier it is on their workers. So that's a, a good example of a two-way street where it's not just about the way I want things done. It's how do we do it in a way that makes it easier and better and more productive for them. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And when you were, you know, back in the day when you were sort of having to forge new relationships, create new categories, build new sales partnerships. Did you ever suffer with self-doubt or imposter syndrome? All the time. (laughs) All the time. I've suffered from imposter syndrome on lots of different levels and lots of different times over the 23 years. What I found has helped the most in getting through that is understanding what I am really good at and being able to call the things that I'm not and pull people in and be honest with them and say, this is what I know, but what you do, I don't know much about and I'm really keen to learn more about it. And I often find that like calling it early and being honest about it helps me kind of get over it and it also opens my my mind a bit to be able to absorb the information rather than shutting myself off and, and feeling really like I'm somewhere where I shouldn't be. Yeah. And how do you know that your sort of inner critic or your imposter syndrome is coming on or is taking over? For me, it's the difference between not knowing something or feeling anxious and panicky about it. Like if I just don't know about something and I very factually, you know, understand that I'm just not aware of it or I haven't come across it before and I can do the research, then I know that I'm okay. If I feel anxious about my lack of knowledge or if I feel like out of place, then typically that is, for me, my imposter syndrome sneaking in because there's nothing wrong with not knowing something. A lot, like most people don't know everything. In fact, everybody, nobody knows everything. And when I can recognise the fact that I just need to learn about something, then I know I'm in a good place. But if I actually feel anxious about that lack of knowledge, that's when I know that I'm I, my imposter syndrome is sneaking up on me. Yeah, that's a really good way of describing it. And, you know, you've been running the business now with Ethan for nearly 23 years. If one of our listeners is thinking about starting a business with a co-founder, what advice would you give them to think about when they are choosing that co-founder? 
So for Ethan and I, we had complementary skills and then, you know, a big grey area that neither of us knew about and both of us were prepared to learn about or, you know, bring people in when we could afford to. It's hard when, you're, when you've got the same skill set because people step on each other's toes. Well, that's what we found anyway. And so I think one of the reasons why it's worked for such a long time with us is because we do have different skills and we do lean on each other to bring those different areas of expertise into the business. But one of the things that I think we did fairly early that I would really urge anybody to do is to figure out a way of resolving conflict before you actually need to resolve the conflict. And it's really smart to have a way of resolving disagreement before there's actually an issue. You can agree on it when you're both in a good position and you can turn to that method if there's a disagreement. And I think we were lucky in the early days that, like, we don't always agree. In fact, we often disagree, but we have the respect for each other that we know that the decision that we go with is the one that's best for the business. It's not about ego and it's not about him winning or me winning. Mm. But there have been times when we haven't agreed on things and you have to really look at it and think, like, how do you how do you get on top of this? How do you resolve it? And we have a partnership agreement that specifies how you deal with conflict. You get a mediator in. We've nominated who the media, mediator is. That's a person that's not connected to either of us specifically, but rather to the business. We've never had to use that, but it's very comforting to know that that mechanism's there if we were to ever need it. Yeah, that's really smart. Mm. Yeah. Uh, did you have that from the get-go? Well, no, we didn't. We just kind of flew into the whole thing. But as yeah. we became like a bit more of a responsible grown-up business, we put a lot of that into place. And we're lucky that we didn't have a situation that we had to resolve before that. But part of the partnership agreement was conflict resolution. Another part of it was what happens if something happens to one of us because neither of us, you know, I mean, I greatly respect his family, but I didn't necessarily want to end up in business with them and him with mine, vice versa. So we put a mechanism in place on what happens if something happens to one of us. We put insurances in place to cover the salary of the person who could no longer work in the business. We've just, it's basically that whole key man succession planning or key person succession planning. And we did that from about 10 years in. Smart. I'm curious, you know, you were 23. The business is nearly 23 years old. Yes, that makes me nearly 47. You're right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Have there been times where you wanted to walk away? Like I know I'm a, a variety queen, but yeah, yes. So how did you get through those? There have been a lot of times that I would have loved to have walked away. Most of them were not about the business itself, but more about, about me and how I was showing up in the business or not for that matter, there have been lots of difficult times, but one of the most difficult times, or I think maybe one of the first most difficult times was when I had my first child. My business partner is a guy and at the time he didn't have any kids. The change in dynamic between us and in my focus and what was important in my life, no matter how much I tried to maintain focus on the business and swear that nothing would ever change, like learning that things do have to change and then facing up to how they'll change so that nothing gets dropped in the business. I wasn't very good at that at first. I swore that everything would be the same and I was in China when my first baby was 12 weeks old and, like, it was fine. Like, I probably suffered more than anybody else, but I think that the partnership with Ethan would have been served a lot better if I'd sat down and been, I don't know if mature is the right word, but if I'd been aware enough to face it rather than just hoping that it would stay the same. 
I don't think that particular incident caused a rift between us, but over the years, as he was working, you know, full time and hard and fast and my focus shifted, there was a space between us that needed to be brought back together that has been brought back together. But I think it wouldn't have happened as much if I had managed it rather than just pretending or hoping that it would all be okay. Yeah, right. And did you do anything differently for your second and your third child? Because you've got three kids. Yes. So for the second, I didn't. But I did have a nanny straight after she was born. So that really made a big difference and helped a lot. I felt like with the first one, I relied a lot on family who they were amazing and they really wanted to help. But I felt very beholden to them. And I found that when I when I wasn't reliant on them and when I was paying someone to help me and that person really loved my child as well, I felt like everybody had their role and they were playing it well. Whereas I always felt like my family never made me feel guilty, but I always felt like I was leaning on them or relying on them. And I, it made me feel like I was missing things that they were getting. And mm. it just, it was, it was a hard dynamic. Having a nanny really, really helped. And it meant that when my family was with the kids, they could just play with them and hang out with them. And same with me, like when I was with them, I like I could be with them and then I had somebody helping me who was doing the house stuff and, and the baby stuff when I couldn't be around. So yeah. that made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's that sort of it's ma- making sure you've got the right support in place, isn't it? That's that's really important. Yeah. Talking of sort of tough times, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier. Your sister passed away and she was she, she was in her 20s, I think. Is that she was 34 when she 34. died and she was sick for two years before that. Yeah, and and then your father passed away he died first he had a heart attack and then six months later she was diagnosed with cancer and she died 18 months after that oh my god so we had a two-year period of the shock of him dying then she got sick and then she was sick for 18 months and then she died and that was she died almost 10 years ago wow that must have just been such a traumatic time in your life it really, really was. And I couldn't tell you when that shifted. Like it's, it doesn't really go away. It just becomes a part of you. And, you know, Claire just sort of yeah. absorbs into you and becomes a part of the person that you are. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes I look at photos and I see myself and I think that's definitely a before photo. And I can, I can tell an after photo as well. And, but I couldn't tell you like exactly where the line is you just sort of morph and it becomes a part of you. Yeah, I totally get that. And how do you think it changed you in terms of how you look at your life and how you look at your business and what you care about? Yeah. So I I really want to say that it stopped me from sweating the small stuff, but it actually didn't. In the beginning and for a few years, actually, I found that the, the really big things I could manage and it was the small things that made me fall apart. You know, I wish I could say that, you know, stressful things like a product being wrong or a boat being late, that I didn't care about those things anymore. But it was almost as though like my resilience had just been shot and I couldn't cope with those small things. And it took a long while to build that resilience back up again. And actually one of the things that took the biggest hit was my self-confidence. And I think that's when imposter syndrome came in far more than any other time in my life was after suffering the trauma of losing my dad and my sister I just like I lost so much confidence in what I was doing and there was no reason like nothing bad happened in relation to the business that stopped me from believing that I could do it but it was almost as though my armor had been peppered with bullets and you know everything was getting in and it took a long time for those holes to grow over and for me to get my confidence back again. 
that makes so much sense that analogy of the of the armor and the holes from the bullets and and so were there any specific things that you think helped you build up that resilience again a lot of kinesiology <laughs> that really helped um i brought a few people into the business to help where i thought that i wasn't doing a very good job and th- it was great to know that these seasoned professionals in our industry were in the business and in the beginning i was really excited about learning a lot from them and i did learn a lot from them but actually the best thing that having them in the business did was make me understand that what we had done and what we developed with no experience was actually really good and that we had been doing things in a way that served our business really well. And I thought that, you know, we just made it up as we went along, which we did, but actually it was up there with best practice in the industry. And that did a lot to restore my confidence in what I was able to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really good. It was amazing, actually. Fantastic. And and what did you learn about yourself through this whole period? I've learned to trust myself more and that... I'm good at what I do and there are lots of areas that I can do with help but that at the core of it I'm good at developing product I'm good at making sure that I listen to customers and that I understand what people need and want and I'm good at following through and I wasn't sure about any of that and I've seen in the last few years that I am good at that. That's so great to hear. I'd love to shift gears now. Sure. look at mentor walks which yes. in Australia you have co-founded with Bobby Marlab who um, has also been on the podcast what's important to you about mentor walks oh, so many things I just I love the fact that we've been able to take our years of experience and our years of meeting people and and interacting with people in our worlds and bring that to other women to support them in their careers and to make them feel like they're not alone. And I love the fact that we can bring all of these incredible women who are our mentors together to impart their wisdom and to have these amazing conversations with other women who are coming through their careers and and support them in in how to deal big issues and small issues and just have inspiring conversations. There's there's so much in mentor walks that gives so much to so many people. It's not just to the mentees. The mentors are also getting out of it. And Bobby and I just love everyone that's involved in it. And it's everything about it is just, it's all about giving, giving, giving. It's amazing. Yeah. And I should explain to listeners who are not familiar with mentor walks, it's a sort of a, a monthly meetup where you go for a one hour walk. And uh, if you're a mentee, you come with a burning question and you booked in advance and you get matched up and you walk with two or three other mentees typically and, uh, and a mentor and just have an hour together talking. It's very effective. You know, you, you've done quite a bit of research lately. You know, I'm very curious, what do you think the biggest problem and theme that you are seeing in terms of challenges that women are encountering is? Typically what we see is that when women are ready to tackle a challenge or a question in their careers, they don't know where to go for advice. And what we provide is a forum for people to be able to come, whether the question's big or small, and ask the question and then learn from people who have been in their shoes in the past. So a lot of the questions that we get are around you know, for women who are in jobs, it's around, you know, how do I tackle this particular issue or how do I go for the for the promotion or how do I deal with a difficult person in my team? And then for people who are running their own businesses, it's how do I get exposure to different markets or how do I 
grow the business in a way that's within my means or how do I do effective marketing to people that I'm not currently reaching? So there's there's definitely like distinct areas of questions and then there are others that are asking about um, work-life balance or, you know, how to change industries. And because we have so many different women who are volunteering to be our mentors, there's always a way that we can match up mentees with mentors and other mentees who can help them address whatever their questions are. So it's, it's pretty broad, but it's all within that area of how do I make my next step in my career? Yeah. And I should add, we are mentors, uh, Claire and, and I as well. We, and we love it. From all the uh, burning questions that you've seen and the research that Mentor Walks has done, if you had one piece of advice for women, particularly younger women, what would that be? It would be surround yourself with community that community will be there for you and you can be there for them. Yeah, such great advice. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, talking of advice, we're going to ask you now a question that we ask all of our guests, which is what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? What advice would I give my 30-year-old self? <laughs> okay, I, I think that when I was 30, I was singularly focused on the business and I wasn't that good at like taking care of myself and understanding that self-care was a really important part of being in business. I thought that throwing everything at the business was the way to be. And if I could give my 30-year-old self some good advice, it would be to make sure that I had things that I could do that I could turn to when I was stressed or when I was having hard times that I knew would soothe me and would help me get out of those stressful ruts that you can get into. So making sure that I had those those mechanisms to support myself when things got hard. Yeah, great advice. And just out of curiosity, what are those things that you turn to specifically for when you're in that space? I know you're going to think that I'm just saying this because it's appropriate, but I, I love podcasts and I really find that a few podcasts um, I go to for calming myself down and just giving myself a little bit of space and making sure that I don't sort of dissolve into the stress of whatever the situation is. Podcasts, it's a little bit of meditation. I want to be better at meditation than I am. Yeah, don't we all? But I do, yeah, yeah but I do, I do have a couple of meditations that I go to time and time again. They're sort of like my um, safety blanket. Yeah. Honestly, and I said this before, but kinesiology has been my lifesaver. Wow, okay, interesting, yeah. fantastic. Well, Adina, thank you so, so much for sharing your amazing story and being so open and honest with us. And, you know, it's just been really inspiring to talk to you and get your your thoughts and advice. Now, if listeners wanted to find out more about you, find out more about STM or Mental Walks, where would they go? I think LinkedIn's probably a good spot to go. My LinkedIn profile is Adina Jacobs and it's got information there about both brands. For STM products, it's stmgoods.com.au and for Mentor Walks, it's mentorwalks.com.au. Fantastic. We'll put all of those links on the show notes page for this episode. So it's just a final thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy to chat formally. Obviously, we chat informally a lot, um, <laughs> but it's been brilliant to hear your whole story and we've certainly learned a lot. Thank you so much. I'm honoured to be here and I've really loved this experience. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Adina.
I have to hand it to Adina and STM. You clearly would have to be super good and super agile at what you do to be a leading supplier of tech accessories for such incredible brands as Apple and Microsoft, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Adina's focus on product innovation and how customer needs are constantly changing not to mention how tech products are constantly being updated is clearly a huge part of their success. Yeah, I know. I mean, just even little mini changes with phone sizes or shapes uh, must mean quite significant manufacturing changes. Absolutely. I also really learned a lot from Adina talking about how it's so important to create a win-win relationship. And, you know, that manufacturing example she shared, it makes such sense, but I'm sure newbies in particular regularly overlook how to make you know, the manufacturing process a true win-win. Yeah, I know. And um, also how Adina and co-founder Ethan went about building their business has really stood the test of time, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And having those policies or procedures mapped out in advance, how they'll deal with conflict and stuff is so smart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for next week's mini episode all about facing up to failure or at least the prospect of failing. And that's so important, you know, we all get so deterred by the prospect of failing, and it turns out that facing up to it may be just what you need to do. So we shall see you then next week, same place, stay safe, and particularly if you're listening in India, we are thinking of you, dear friends. Take care, ciao for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.